0: Listening to the Online Empire Academy podcast, where you'll discover some of the best and most creative ways to provide for your family and get started on your journey to entrepreneurship. No crazy get rich quick schemes. No living in a van down by the river with your family while you build your business. If you want real, actionable, and proven entrepreneur ideas that you can use right now, join us for free at the Online Empire Academy.com. Now, get ready for the Online Empire
1: Academy podcast. What's up Online Empire Academy? I am so excited to be here. We have in the incredible guest Stephen Steven, Steven Sashion from Zero Shoes and I am so excited. This is an absolutely incredible story and, and such an incredible opportunity for us as the Empire to learn from somebody who has been an expert at building exposure for their brand. So what's up man, how are you?
0: I'm well, honestly, I'm getting over two days worth of being in bed, so pardon me if I sound all sniffly. It's only because I am.
1: (laughs) Well, I appreciate you still willing to be being willing to come on the show. I I really, I really Um, am excited about this. My pleasure. Totally. So I, I want I want the Empire, for those of you guys who don't know what this brand is and and uh uh, I want, I want the empire to know this. I, w- I want them to know what you guys are doing, what you're about and kind of your story. Cause I think this is the, the, this is the piece that I really want you guys to attach yourself to is how you guys built your brand. So share your story. I want to know all about it. All of it. That's a long, <laughs> it used to be you know, my
0: wife, Lana and I would go to parties and people would say, um, ask me what I did. And I would just excuse myself and let her answer for me. Cause uh, it, it's a lot of things. I've never had an actual job. Um, I, I, I've heard about them. I think they sound interesting. I just don't know that I could do it. Uh, it wouldn't end well for anybody. So I've been, I've been selling things online since jeez, 1992, actually 1991. Um, and zero shoes, that's X E R O shoes. What we're doing now, we started a little over six years ago and it was a total fluke freak accident mistake something that we completely didn't plan. And so uh, let me give you the short version of that. Um, About eight years ago, when I was 45, I got back into sprinting after a 30-year break. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend that because I spent 50 years just getting (laughs) in. pretty much constantly. Um, but I was still having really fun, uh, having a lot of fun. My One day I'm walking, well, one day I'm hobbling across the kitchen and my wife asked me completely serious, she's, are you having fun doing this? I said, more than you can imagine, uh, even though I was getting hurt all the time. So one day, a friend of mine who's a world champion distance runner said, you should try running barefoot and see if that helps. So I took off my shoes, went for a run with a bunch of other barefoot people. And there are a couple things that happened. The first was uh, now, I'm a sprinter. I run the 100 meters. That's like as far as I go. My my training partners joke that I have a phobia of the other side of the track. Uh, and I said, that's ridiculous. That can be great something that doesn't exist. Um, I have no evidence for the other side of the track. So uh, I went out running barefoot, and I was so... Fascinated by the f- experience, by how it felt, by what happened if I changed my gait, if I went, tried to run faster or slower, move my legs faster without running faster, move my legs slower without running faster. Just everything about it was really, really interesting. And at the end of the race or the end of the run, someone had a GPS watch on and I said, How, how far did we just go? And she said, That was, that was about four miles. I went, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I mean, I'd never run that far in my life. And I was just, because I was just so. Fascinated by the experience. Well, there was one other part. I ended up with a giant blister on the ball of my left foot. And my left leg was the one that was getting injured all the time. This was not lost on me. So I found that really interesting. And the next week, I went out for barefoot run number two, still with this gaping hole on the ball of my left foot. And I thought, okay, if I can find a way to run that doesn't hurt, then that probably means that I'm no longer doing the thing that caused the problem to begin with. So it was an experiment. I figured I'd give myself 10 minutes, and if I couldn't figure it out in 10 minutes, screw it, I'll go home, try again another time. At about the 9 minute and 30 second mark, when I was literally looking for where I was going to pull off and just hobble my way back to my car, something changed, and instantly, literally, within one step, I was running faster, easier, lighter, more effortlessly, and with more fun than I literally ever had in my life. Wow. Now, I know what I what I did. I for those of you who are into running, I stopped overstriding. I stopped reaching out to grab the ground with my foot and pull the ground behind me. I just started landing with my feet underneath me, and and rather than pushing and pulling, I was just lifting my feet off the ground and putting them back on the ground, and kind of it, it just became more efficient. So, um, I was sold. I love this idea of running barefoot or just being barefoot. It really was. It feels good. And that's not an accident. There's more nerve endings on the bottom of your feet than anywhere but your fingertips and your lips. And you're supposed to feel things and know when things feel good. Your brain responds to that. Uh, and I quickly changed all my form problems that were causing my injuries. I'm now, um, I'm now a master's All-American sprinter, which means I'm one of the fastest guys over the age of 50. Or technically, um, you're talking to someone who arguably could be the fastest Jew in the world. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, anyway. I love it. Yeah, be that as it may. Um, so. I'd heard about the Tarahumara Indians. I knew about these guys. They're from Mexico they were brought up uh, to Colorado to run uh, the highest ultra marathon in the world, the Leadville 100, and they ended up doing it either barefoot or in sandals that were made out of tire, scraps of tire with leather strapped to their feet, which is what they usually wear. And I started looking around online and I started making, I got some rubber from a uh, outsole manufacturer, got some laces from Home Depot, and started making sandals for myself and for other barefoot runners in town. We'd just sit on the street corner just doing this, and people would walk by going, hey, it's those things that those guys wear. So that was really fun. And then one day, here's where the accident came in. Well, all of this has been an accident so far. But one day, uh, a guy who is the local barefoot running coach says to me, you should treat this little hobby of yours like a business and Mm -hmm. put up a website because I have a book coming out about barefoot running. And if you had a website, I would put you in the book. So I rush home and I pitch this idea to my wife who tells me I'm a complete idiot (laughs) and that it won't work. It won't make any money. It's a waste of time. It's a distraction from the business that we had, which was an SEO business that we had been building. And, uh, and you know, just don't do it. And I assured her that she was correct and that I wouldn't do it. <laughs> um, it goes to bed around nine and ten I had a website. So um, the next day, she's kind of grumbling that I had done this. And I said, look, look, it's an SEO experiment. The people who are ranking for the keywords that I care about They're obviously there by accident. There's nothing that I could see where anyone was deliberately trying to rank. It was all just sort of random stuff. I said, we'll do this as an SEO experiment and see what happens. It'll be a good case. study. Within three months, it was our full-time job. It just took off um, because I owned it. I mean, there was a period of time in early 2010 where for any keyword I care about, I had 45 of the top 50 search positions minimum. Oh my goodness. It was nuts. Um and that and it stayed that way for a while till competition came in and some Google changes happened about a year later. Uh and then it was also coincidental with the rather meteoric and surprising uh rise of interest in the book Born to Run by Chris McDougall that was all about the Tatamata Indians and Barefoot Running and Running Shoes and how they don't do anything for you and all these other things. So it really was just a—I um uh, I hate using the phrase perfect storm, but it was. I mean it was just all these things that came together just right and and took off and then maybe nine months in we ended up meeting these guys who formerly met at Reebok when they they started at Reebok 40 years ago when it was smaller than we are in fact less than half the size of what we are now Uh, and they helped build it to 1.2 billion and we met them socially and they came over and worked with us on a business plan a product development and just because they liked what we were doing we got along really well Uh, so it was uh, it, the whole thing was a fluke. And the reason that I love the fact that it was a fluke is that everyone has this idea that you can reliably find some technique or some step-by-step plan that leads to something successful. <laughs> really, more often than not, the, the luck factor, the, the, you know, chance and unpredictability factor is way higher than the, Hey, we planted factor. Yeah. But that's the story in a nutshell.
1: That's uh, so good. There's, there's so many nuggets in there that I, I want to dig into. The first one, and kind of selfishly, is you, you said something about shoes that and, and even in reading what you guys have written, like shoes actually can end up damaging your joints and stuff. Can you kind of expand on that? I, I mean, it's super interesting and something I want to get into before we get into kind of your exposure and how you, you manage that.
0: Yeah. So here, here's the deal. In a nutshell, shoes suck. <laughs> Bottom line. <laughs> Sandals, too, um, And there are a number of things. So look at the shape of your foot. I mean, just like look down at your foot. It's basically triangular. Um, except now go look at your shoes and you're, you'll see that it's basically diamond shape. So... Most shoes have these narrow pointed toe boxes that restrict what your foot naturally wants to do, which is have your toes spread out. Um, most of them have what's called toe springs, and they, especially running shoes. They rise up at the front, which actually puts your toes, stretches out the plantar fascia, the bottom of your foot, essentially, um, unnecessarily and uh, unnaturally. Um, the thick cushioning that you have uh, on the bottom of most, again, I'll talk mostly about running shoes. It breaks down, actually sandals too, flip-flops too. The thick cushioning breaks down and can lead you to, you know, falling off one side or the other and put your ankle all out of whack. Plus, ironically or paradoxically, cushioning actually increases the forces that go through your joints. Long time that. Um, A lot of the outsoles are stiff, so they eliminate both the sensory feedback from the ground that your feet are wired to receive, and your brain is wired to get from your feet. That's what's required for balance. Um, And also, it it just impedes the natural flexion of the entire foot, especially the big toe, which is really important for proper push-off from the ground and the healthy function and development of the arch. So... Put all that together, and you have something that can really easily lead to injuries and problems from plantar fasciitis, joint pain, balance problems in the elderly pretty much you name it. Now, here's the kicker think of it this way. In the 45 years since the invention of the padded motion control running shoe, not one running shoe company has ever demonstrated that their product is uh, well, that their product reduces injury or improves performance or simply is better than other products out there. Now, the running shoe industry is a $6 billion a year industry. There's a lot of financial incentive to do this. Why haven't they done it? And the answer is pretty simple. They can't. Um, uh-huh. If you look at running shoes prior to like 72, when Nike came out, big, thick, padded things, they were all about as minimalist as what we do. Thin piece of rubber, thin piece of leather on the bottom, really thin upper, really lightweight, really flexible. And then it all changed. And I've talk to a guy who talked to the doctor who helped Nike come up with these ideas. And that doctor recanted and said, all those ideas I came up with, I pulled them out of my butt. Um, I made them up. They weren't true. Um, Now it's become common wisdom that you're supposed to have this orthotics. Here's an interesting one. So motion control and orthotics, there is no evidence that they work reliably. They work seemingly for 10% of the population Nobody knows in advance which 10%. There's no evidence that a $500 custom-made orthotic is better than a Dr. Scholl's insult that you get at Walmart. And this is a billion-dollar industry. So what we're looking at now in, in whatever year this is, 2016, is the end result of over 45 years of advertising, marketing, and propaganda. And it's gone on so long that everyone thinks that it's true because they can't remember when it wasn't. Huh. Not that I have, not that I find this, uh, um, well, I find it intellectually fascinating, and look, here's the way I say it. While running shoes in particular don't kill anybody, they often seem to cause the very problems for which they're sold as cures, and I I like to say that running shoes are the new cigarettes. I think, I I literally do believe, um, for a number of reasons, that there is a smoking gun that, pun intended that run-issue <laughs> companies do have research showing that their products are not only some often not helpful, but often harmful. And if people really knew the truth about these products and how they've been sold a bill of goods, I, I like to fantasize that there would be rioting in the streets. But given how apathetic people have gotten lately, I, I imagine there would just be a few people like me grumbling um, you know, in the background.
1: That's so interesting. I, I think that, you know, for, for the most of society, you're totally right. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm from the generation that, that never knew a life without running shoes. So, you know, it's, it's for me, the Nike Air Maxes are the way to go. That's just my thought process. It's right. like, and then they came out with the free run and it's like, oh, they're so lightweight. And, and so, you know, I, I've never gotten to barefoot running because frankly, it scares me, but you know, it, it's just, you know, f- for me, I'm, I'm learning so much about just the, um, the differences in in preferences and, and now, now hearing, you know, just reading through your guys' studies and stuff, I think it is really interesting just what you're talking about and that it is a billion dollar market. What I think is super interesting is that you guys saw the market and have now figured out a way to reach a, a much broader audience. I mean, for me personally, like I, I would have never thought of using y- y'all's shoes, but now it's, it's something that, has totally changed my perspective, and and now looking at it, I'm like, oh, there's actual health benefits to it. And well, <clears throat> you, you just hit on something, a couple of things that are really interesting. So
0: the conversation is controlled by the guys with the most money and the most reach and the most um, longevity. Let's say, I mean, there are a number of things. Suffice it to say, Nike puts out a press release and it gets reprinted as if it's news. Okay. So every four years, they spend millions of dollars to put all of their gear on uh, Olympic athletes, and then somehow it's, quote, news that these Olympic athletes are all wearing Nike products. (laughs) Wait, run that by me again? Um, So, and the, uh, the whole conversation about barefoot, it started in 2009, kind of grew in 2010, and in the early days of it, all of the running shoe stores and all of the running shoe companies we're just screaming that it was complete bullshit. Hmm. It's all made up. It was all fiction. It doesn't work. Can't, you know, like just stay away. You're going to die. You need to get Ebola and step on hypodermic needles <laughs> and somehow, uh, you know, end up with Alzheimer's from taking off your shoes. So, I mean, it was just a massive propaganda war. It was, it was hysterical. And, and my favorite one is things like um, they'll pull out some doctor who has never taken off his shoes in his life. I mean, and I say that because I've been on panels where I'm with all these doctors and they say, oh, barefoot running is going to kill you. And I go, how many people on this panel have ever taken off their shoes and run barefoot for at least a mile on a paved road? And I'm the only one. It's like, what do you, how do you guys know what you're talking about? You've never even tried it. You have no idea. How many of you have analyzed video of runners running barefoot on pavement? I'm the only one, you know, so it's like, my, the doctors will say things like, I love barefoot running. It's putting my kids through college with all the new patients I'm seeing. <laughs> I go, All right, all right. First of all, when a whole bunch of people try something, you're going to see more patients because that's just the pie getting bigger. But you're never going to hear from people who had no problem, like me, who very quickly found that it cured their injuries and developed arches in my previously lifelong flat feet. You won't see us. Secondly, did you check and see if these people were actually running barefoot? Because around 2010 is when all the shoe companies went, we got to take advantage of this and started making quote unquote minimalist shoes. And they claimed that it gave you the same benefits as being barefoot, which was complete. I think the technical word is bullshit. Again, fiction, none of us barefoot people ever said that, but they were trying to capture some piece of this. I said, so were they running barefoot or were they in quote, Barefoot shoes, and ninety-nine percent of the time they were in the barefoot shoes because, like you said, people are afraid to do it. Even though this is what everyone used to do, people have forgotten that. Okay, so that was the second thing or third thing. The next thing I said: Have you analyzed their form? Did you look to see how they were running? Because those of us who do this, we don't. It's not about being barefoot; it's about the form that you adopt when you're barefoot. Because if you run the same way that you do in shoes without shoes. It hurts. And so your body and your brain quickly go, all right, we have to stop that. And when you figure out how to run barefoot in a way that's fun, not only not painful, but fun, it's it's a change in your gait. And interestingly, research has shown that people who run barefoot do change their gait. People who run in most minimalist shoes do not because they're not getting enough feedback from the ground and their body to, to inspire those changes, AKA pain, frankly. Um, so I said, you know, have you ever analyzed their running? And the answer is of course, never. And I said, do you even know what good running form is? And the answer is usually n- no. And then I go, and look, let's just do the simple thing. You guys made the same joke 40 years ago about running shoes. Uh-huh. So you can't have it both ways. You can't claim that running shoes are oh, I'm putting my kids through college. And then 40 years later go barefoot. Hey, it's putting my kids through college. It's, you know, You can't just change this story and move the goalposts. So I don't even have to say anything pro-barefoot, frankly, in those conversations. I just point out that the arguments are fiction. The arguments are straw man arguments. The arguments are non-sequiturs. It's like every cognitive problem and rhetorical glitch there is comes into those arguments. So all that said, the problem for us is, again, they control the conversation. When Nike puts out a press release saying barefoot is bullshit, Everyone thinks that Barefoot is bullshit. When Vibram, the guys who make the five-toe shoes, get sued in a class action suit that some people think may have been sponsored by a shoe company, then everyone goes, oh, see, you know, Barefoot is nonsense because they got sued. It's like, well, wait, first of all, they got sued. That doesn't mean anything. That just means someone is looking for a way to make money. And they settled the case for $3.75 million, which means, I mean, compared to like Reebok when they got sued for making claims about their toning shoes which only toned your legs and butt because they weighed like five pounds each when they got sued for that it was i mean companies that have gotten sued for the same kinds of things have paid hundreds of million dollars total um in lawsuits 3.75 million basically means the plaintiff realized ah crap we don't have a case let's get out of here otherwise they wouldn't have agreed to 3.75 million on a product that is sold as well as the five figures so we're up against a propaganda machine how do you deal with that and the answer that we found Is twofold. One, don't. There's no way I can argue against the, you know, uh, against people's intrinsic beliefs um, when when they're really how do I want to put it when there's financial incentive for them to hold onto it. It's easier for them to just buy from Nike than to launch a new brand, for example. So one thing we're doing is making an end run around it. We just don't even try and talk about it so much because there's more to our product than the whole idea of barefoot running. It's they're comfortable. They're versatile. They're lightweight. They feel good. You can use these for everything from taking a walk to going to yoga or CrossFit, or they're perfect for travel. They're great for hiking. They um, you know, can hang out on the beach. They look cool. So we're just selling people on the benefits beyond trying to talk them into the barefoot idea. And then we give them the whole barefoot backstory. So they understand why they're having this great experience that they're having. Now, for the true believers, piece of cake. We just get in front of them when they're looking for things about barefoot. That's easy. But in the big picture, we just have to, I don't want to say that we pivot because I hate that term, but it's also that it's not true. What we've done is we've, we've looked underneath to see why our customers like what we do, what yeah. they're really responding to. And we're selling that. We know people want comfortable, attractive footwear that feels good. We know people have foot pain and ankle pain and knee pain. We, we can't sell medical benefits, but we know that when people wear these shoes, they have these great experiences. So we, 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 we try to bypass the argument entirely. And then they have their own experience. They go, oh my God, this is just like being barefoot, only I've got protection and some comfort and some style. They sell themselves on the story. So... Um, that's what we've had to do. And now that said, we really do have this mission about footwear that is natural, that has natural fit, the way your foot is shaped, that has natural flex, the way your foot is supposed to move, that gives you natural feel. So you get feedback from the ground. All of those are really important. We didn't evolve to put these things in a cast. You would never go to a doctor. You, in fact, you would sue any doctor, about if you walked in with any other complaint other than your feet, if he suggested, you know, why don't you just um, immobilize them for the rest of your life? <laughs> you, you know, you'd laugh at the guy or punch the guy, but that's what we're currently living with. So we we have this very strong mission to do something about that. Um, yeah. And and even in that, we have to find the you've got to find the leverage point where you can actually make a difference rather than the wall that you're going to run into and beat your head against.
1: That's so, so cool. cool. I think it's super interesting. Just the, I, I love your passion, first off. I think that that, that truly is inspirational to me. And, and just to hear your passion and where you guys have come from and how, how excited you are about what you're doing, I think well, that's something I'm Well, i got to tell
0: on. you, it's, it's really easy to be excited about the truth in the face of people lying. Uh, honestly. Yeah, it I mean, makes sense. It, it's, it, there's, there's nothing more enjoyable than having the truth on your side
1: good now my question is you're in boulder colorado that's cold what (laughs) do you do during the winters (laughs) well um yeah it was 25 degrees
0: at work today um i haven't put shoes on yet um (laughs) so uh first my first winter i was just kind of curious like how long could i go before i felt the urge to put on shoes and And now it's been over eight years uh i just been wearing my sandals during the winter and the only thing that changes excuse me in fact, if you go to um, zeroshoes.com/cold, you'll see some things I've written about this. You do adapt. Uh, I mean, there are cultures and people who who make it through winters with bare feet, and they, I mean, they're way more cold adapted than I am. Um, but you you make certain concessions. You don't go out for an hour long walk. You go out for you know ten minute loops or whatever you need to do. So you change the way you behave in order to do the thing that you want to do. You don't try to force reality or you don't try to force your ideas upon reality. Um, And you adapt. It's funny. I go out now when it's really, really cold, my hands are freezing. My feet feel fine. Really? Yeah. It's really wild actually. Huh?
1: Cause that was my one thing is, I mean, I mean, I, I live in Northern California, so it doesn't get much, it doesn't get cold compared to that, but you know, where my wife's from, she's from Michigan and, and, you know, you gotta go shovel off your, your driveway every morning. So, you know, just thinking about that, I'm like, can you shovel snow in, in, yeah. Yeah. in your shoes? like <laughs> I'm not suggesting that everyone goes barefoot in the winter.
0: Um, I'm just saying that, that we are, that the limitations that we imagine are usually only imagined limitations. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you go to zero shoes.com slash cold, you'll actually see a video of me shoveling a foot of snow. The
1: That's awesome. Very fun. Okay. So for you guys who, who may be uh, looking at Steven and thinking, I've seen him somewhere. They were on shark tank and this was super exciting for me because I started looking at their stuff and I had that same moment of seeing these guys before. Like I'm pretty sure I've seen these guys before. And then after researching a little more, they were on Shark Tank and actually had their own piece. So I, I want to kind of dig into that. Obviously, yep. you had the, the cameo in the book, but you guys have done a fantastic job and you talked a little bit about uh just your keywords, but you've done a fa- fantastic job at exposure. Tell us, how did you build that exposure? How did you grow your company to the point where obviously you guys got on Shark Tank, but now are are in the forefront and, and have all these keywords explain some of that
0: well i mean we we are an emerging aspirational lifestyle brand that's that's our goal in fact we're expanding beyond the keyword set that originally started this we have new products that are coming out that are much more um that are still again still true to our what we believe about natural movement and ground feel but give people a bit more protection and a bit more comfort still in something really ultra lightweight really thin and really flexible um we're, we're committed to that uh, um, and so we realized now we're competing in a bigger space against products like Chaco or Teva or Keen or arguably Birkenstock even. And so that expands the keyword set and the, the things that we're doing. Um, uh, but the answer to your question is early on, the first thing that I did is I took the – for the first three and three and a half years of our business, we were selling a do-it-yourself sandal making kit. That's what we showed on Shark Tank. That's all we had then. We were developing ready-to-wear product at the time, but we didn't have it at the time. And um, I wrote up all the instructions for how to do it, and I gave it away online. I made videos showing people how to go out and do it on their own. And I i mean, I literally gave away our entire business model. Here it is. You don't need me. Knock yourself out. And those videos have gotten a couple million views. Wow. And I, I bump into people very regularly say things like, you know, I made all these shoes because of your videos. I mean, I've never bought your stuff yet. I just wanted to let you know. And they feel really embarrassed about it, which I'm fine by the important thing for me was getting people out there and doing stuff yeah. um, and, and building the list and building. I mean, I, 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 I didn't, how do I want to say this? I didn't do it with the deliberate, oh, wait, this is really weird. I didn't do it just because I was trying to build trust and authority and all those things. I knew those things would happen. I did it because it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, and those things are just part of doing the right thing. So, um, and then we've done comedic videos as well. I have a, I did a video shit barefoot runners say that kind of mocks barefoot runners. And then the follow up shit runners say two barefoot runners that mocks the people who mock barefoot runners. Um, Though I, I made that video. actually, when the whole sort of shit people say meme came out, Lena says to me, you should do one of those. Now like, I can't think of what I would say. And then that night I woke up in the middle of the night with one of the jokes and woke up and wrote it all down and went out and shot it in, a couple, in an hour or so. And she said, what do you think's going to happen? I said, I don't know. If we get like 2,000 views, that'll be nice. And on the first day, we had 1,000. On the second day, we had 5,000. On the third day, we had 20,000. On the next day, we had 100,000. So we got picked up by boing boing. Um, so it just it, it, it took off. Um, so the, the thing that I did and continue to do and want to do more of, frankly, uh, the problem with running a business is, it, it, as it gets bigger, the amount of time you have to do certain things diminishes. So I'm trying to do more. Um, is just making, I hate saying developing content, but I'll say it, developing content that is educational or entertainment or both, um, that that helps people go out and do things on their own. They don't need me. That um, makes people like what we're doing just for the fun of it. Um, or that does make people want to participate in what we're doing because they believe in the product or the mission or the idea or you know some variation of the theme. So it's just find where the conversations are already happening and then get in on the conversation, not to promote yourself, but to be part of the conversation. I mean, you can do it, you know, there are again, some people who have a formula. It's like do four things that are just being part of the conversation. And one thing is promotional. And I, I personally err on the side of, um, promoting probably less than I should because for me this is just one of my favorite conversations and I can't help but wanting to talk about it. And that's been a big part of it. And then there there are the um the specific logistical things of paying attention to keywords or paying attention to how social platforms interlink or paying attention to um oh gosh, um one of the things that I really kind of pay attention to. Um, Understanding SEO in certain ways, like knowing what you can do with RSS, um, knowing how you can build domain authority, uh, knowing you know all of the various components of that, knowing the value of video, experimenting with paid search. I mean, here's a weird one for us. We can barely, we really can't do much paid search because the big companies are paying huge amounts of money wow. per click and, and we can't afford to compete in that. In fact, the way I say it is, you know, you're in trouble when you're doing niche marketing and annoying internet marketers who are selling courses on niche marketing are using your niche as an example of one to go after to make money. Because what that means is that there's an arbitrage play in place that you can buy traffic at one price and sell it for a higher price. And when that's happening, that means there's too much competition and that's the situation we're in. So again, we have to make an end run around reality to do what we want. Um, And so that's, those are some of the, the weird tricky things we're doing. So we, we are doing some paid search, but it's, um, it's challenging when, when, oh gosh, um, uh, Merrill, for example, is willing to pay $2 and 50 cents for a click on barefoot running shoes. Like really?
1: It's a lot of money at the end of the day, a
0: lot of money at the end of the day. So it makes it hard. You know, the, the fantasy is that you can find some paid channel and just scale it, just turn up the dial. And as much as you spend, you make, you know, that plus something back. And we've had, to, we've had to really, really um, uh, get good at understanding our stats so that we, could, that we could, frankly, pull the plug fast without losing too much money. Um, it's it's kind of, I'll, I'll give you this one. Every time someone calls me and asks me for money, which happens every day, multiple times, for some marketing initiative, I, I always just ask them these two questions. <laughs> and I swear I say this. I go, okay, I just want to know, how quickly and cheaply can I find out if you have your head up your ass? And secondly, <laughs> what are you going to do about it if you do? Because I have no interest in sending you a check for a bunch of money and having you shrug your shoulders and go, "Wow, I don't know why that didn't work." It usually does. And if they can't answer both of those questions, I don't hire them.
1: Huh? I like it. That's that's really good. I think you you touched on something earlier that that I wish I wish that our community would touch and 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 kind of grab a hold of, and even our own teams is. If you have a private label product, I mean, you're, you're working with these shoes and, yeah. and so many of our audience does have a private label product. Yeah. The thing we tend to forget is that there's a duty as, as the sole proprietor of that product that I now need to market that. And some, most yeah. of us, you know, just throw it on Amazon and, and, you know, run ads to it, run ads on Facebook, do all that, which is great. I'm cool. not, I'm not it knocking that work. totally, but there's not. What, what I think you did and, and really have championed. And I so appreciate this is you took that to the next level and said, I'm, I'm not just going to do this. I'm also going to make videos and tutorials. I mean, it was so interesting after going through your YouTube page and we'll link the YouTube page uh, in this okay. post, but watching your videos, it, I, it didn't feel pitchy. You, you had your thing at the end where you're like, you know, you have your, your slogan at the end, but it didn't, I, I felt like, Oh, I'm going to go Google what their website is. You know, I'm going to go Google it. It wasn't that, that it was like this big thing and I felt offended by, you know, all these links and like this pitch. It was just, hey, I'm going to show how to use this to the best of the ability and I'm going to talk about running. I'm going to talk about my product. For those of you who do have a private label product, this is a perfect example to learn from of of taking a product private labeling it and then showing your community, showing the people around you, whether it's family or your YouTube page, show them why they need to have that product. And, and I promise that things are going to start, those gears are going to start turning to where you can. I mean, I, I love what you just said of people are going to approach you about, Hey, you know, I, I want to do X, Y, and Z to see if we can promote this. And, yeah. and then, you know, you're going to be able to say, Hey, where's your money? You know, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. How, how are you going to better? well it,
0: it's interesting to say that um, and again I'm not suggesting this is the only way you can put up a video sales letter that's all pitch 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 it's you know that has all the classic formulaic things of it's not your fault and and, and scarcity and limitedness and blah 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 you can do all that um, I uh, and, and sometimes it's relevant you know part of it is that we're our particular product is less of a problem solution product or solution yeah problem solution product. This is people. There are some people who are searching for us because they do have a problem for which they think this is a solution, but we're not, um, we're not in a business where people have, um, I don't know, you know, monkeys growing out of their butt or whatever it is. I'd you be know, anti-monkey growing out of your butt cream. So, um, which if that doesn't exist, man, it totally.
1: So <laughs> I think it's your next
0: product. There you go. <laughs> um, funny story about that. Not, not monkeys in your butt, but next product. Um, <laughs> you know we're we're not a we're not a problem solution focused focused company uh, even though again we do we we do believe that there are problems that get solved with what we're doing we for a list of reasons don't want to go down that road um it is fraught with peril with the f t c frankly and we don't want to do that um, i mean again, the room got sued because someone claimed that they had made medical claims that they couldn't back up and or scientific claims same that they couldn't back up and it's um, arguably true and arguably not so simple, which is why, again, time to do a settlement. So um, for us, it's important just to be part of the conversation because if someone thinks you're always pitching them, you know, it's hard. It's, you, you know that guy who's at a party who is always on and he's always trying to be funny even when he's not? You don't <laughs> want to be that guy. And you don't want to be the marketing version of that guy. You want to be someone that someone's willing to talk to about whatever you're doing and be And be willing to listen, not you know be waiting for the pitch, the number of times where I, where I talk to people and I go, look um, you 'll have to pardon me but i'm taking i don 't have my zero shoes CEO hat on right now. I have my let 's just chat hat on um, and I know some people can 't separate those, but I do all the time i mostly frankly I mostly don 't have my zero shoes CEO hat on, and that makes makes it so that I can have conversations with people at very high levels and they don 't find me clingy and and um, uh, you know, narcissistic, and all those things that, that annoy them. I, I mean, I'm part of the conversation with them, not not part of a, just you know someone else trying to get something from them. And then I'll say to them, "Look, you know that I want. I, I'd like you to do something. And here's the conversation. Let's just have the chat, independent of all that. And then we'll have the chat about that. And if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. Because I'm not trying. I, I there's there's that old line in sales: you can't say the wrong thing to the right person and the right thing to the wrong person. Uh, you know. I don't try to sell people all the time if for no other reason than it's just too much effort.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd love I'd love for for those of you who are watching, those of you who are listening, you can go to the YouTube page. But do you have any uh, any samples or anything that you can just show via via the the, the chat? Product samples? Yeah. Just so happens, and this is literally coincidental.
0: Um, I'm bringing these to a to a um, magazine later today, so they can d- take pictures of them. So one of our shoes, um, think um, think Chaco Teva Keen again. You know, sport sandals. They're usually like an inch and a half thick, and they weigh a pound and a half, and they're stiff as brick. And this is our um, a Murray Z Trek sandal, and so you can see it from different angles. That's
1: awesome.
0: So it's um, five and a half millimeters thick. Um, this one weighs about six and a half ounces. We have a new product coming out in a little while that weighs even less. It's ridiculously flexible. You can roll it up and fit it. <laughs> <in your> pocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it fits in your pack, your pocket. It obviously packs. Well, people, people see me roll it up and they go, Hey, that's great for travel. I go, well, it actually packs flat this way, but yes. Um, and it's got a really durable outsole. Um, really, really grippy people use this for fly fishing, for climbing mountains, for taking a walk. It's ridiculously comfortable, slides on and off. Um, it's only, um, $60 compared to some other similar products that are hundred, 120 and up and true to our tire sandal heritage. Um, our outsoles have a 5,000 mile warranty and where that came from, um, people would say, Hey, how long do these things last? And we'd say, I don't know. No one's ever worn out a pair. And then we thought about the whole tire sandal heritage and went, okay, 5,000 mile warranty. So we, we, we. Um, this is another thing we do compared to other shoes. When we had our rubber developed, we we made this rubber, it's called Feel True Rubber. And when we had it developed, we wanted something that lasted a long time and had the performance characteristics that we wanted. Because I I find planned obsolescence um both insulting and annoying. And so when we, we talked to the factory about making this, they said, you know, that's not the way most outsoles are made. And we went, Yeah, I know. <laughs> So, uh it's not it's certainly you know we could we, we could make more money if we had something that wore out in 300 miles but i just find that so annoying uh, that we'd rather have something and we have people who will email us on a daily basis saying here's a picture of the shoes that i bought from you five years ago
1: oh my it cost me 30
0: bucks i'm still wearing them and I love that because what happens is then rather than, you know, then they, then the next thing they do, they know that they're getting something that's a good value. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to do fake pricing things. I don't have to say, Hey, the real price of this should be a million dollars, but it's only whatever they know the value of it. So they know that if they're going to spend another 50, 60 $100 with me, they're going to get something that lasts a long time. And that's actually better than playing pricing games.
1: I love that. And I think, I think it's just cool. Like I, you know, my, my dad always wore, I think like the Chacos or, yeah, I think that's what, but he, you know, he, he'd wear the sandals and I, I thought they were cool, but like, I, I, I just never bought a pair. I mean, I, I could never justify the cost as well. Um, well, but you know, for you also, me, I always,
0: well, you also said my favorite thing that one of the ways that we talk about these, we go, you know, these are not your father's sandals. <laughs>
1: I love it. No, I, I think it's really cool though, because for me, I'm used to, you know, I, I, I grew up in Southern California where rainbows are made. So, yeah. you know, for me, I, I, I'd go buy a new pair of rainbows every three years and I thought they were the greatest thing ever. But to, you know, to hear that you guys give a $5,000 or a 5,000 mile warranty, I think that's amazing. Like my, I wish mine were warrantied that long, but you know, I, I think that that's really cool. Just that you guys made it intentionally with really strong materials. I think that's awesome we the the fundamental
0: idea that we have underneath our business which is undeniably not the way to make the most money is that Lena and i won't do anything that wouldn't make us happy if we were our own customers Hmm. so um our pricing we could definitely have higher pricing but these are numbers that we're comfortable with as consumers um, our customer service, hugely important to us. Many of our competitors, if you call them or email them, you'll get a voicemail and you'll never hear back from them or it'll take you know weeks till they hear back. We're, we're hiring additional customer service people because frankly, when everyone takes the weekend off, I answer emails most of the time because I hate when people have to wait to get an answer, especially if the answer involves them then wanting to buy something from me. I want to give them the information they need quickly so they can have that experience of you know getting through the sales process. Um, so that's one of my next fantasies: is that we can kind of juggle it with our customer service team, so that everything's being answered throughout the weekend as well. But no one feels like they're, you know, in slave labor.
1: I love it. Well, it's been an absolute joy to have you on. I think it's so interesting. My mind is is uh, is open to the world of of uh, no shoe shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I appreciate you being on. I appreciate all the time you've taken to talk with us. Uh, Empire, if you guys want to know more about them, go to theonlineempireacademy.com forward slash zero shoes. Now, that is X-E-R-O shoes and uh, you can find more about them there. Where can they find you on YouTube? I really think that your t- YouTube channel is awesome. Um, well, what is sure. what is the channel?
0: Not surprisingly, we're Zero Shoes everywhere. So YouTube.com slash Zero Shoes, which redirects to you, YouTube.com slash user slash Zero Shoes. Um, and Zero Shoes.com and Facebook.com slash Zero Shoes and at Zero Shoes on Twitter and Instagram.com slash Zero Shoes. And you know, everywhere you can think of slash Zero Shoes.
1: Perfect. Well, I'm I'm really excited. Some of my takeaways from this are uh, obviously like just making sure that you know your brand and, and that you're really developing that and and growing that brand as a whole, making videos about it or or just sharing it and being the spokesman of it. I, I really appreciate just. I want to
0: ha- highlight that really quickly, and because I know yeah,
1: please to just to, just
0: to highlight it really quickly, a brand is bigger than the product that you're selling, and if you can build a brand, you have a real asset. If you're just selling a product. You have a, you've you've got a temporary business,
1: man. That's so good, that's so good. Well, Empire, we're going to end on that uh, again. Stephen, thank you so much for being on. I've appreciated yeah. it, and uh, and yeah. So if you guys want to know more about Stephen, obviously the Online Empire Academy forward slash uh, zero shoes x e r o shoes dot uh, com and and or uh, you can go onto youtube and find us there itunes stitcher radio all the above we're so excited that you guys came to listen to us and uh, until next time empire have a fantastic day
0: thank you for listening to the online empire academy podcast if you want real actionable and proven entrepreneur ideas that you can use right now join us for free at the OnlineEmpireAcademy.com. if you've enjoyed this podcast help us make more by rating us on itunes and stitcher radio we'll see you next time